Today's episode of The Rewatchables is presented by SeatGeek. That's the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons podcast on the Jame Gum Podcast Network. Oh, no, it's the Ringer Podcast Network. Easiest way to shop for tickets. Hey, football fans, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NFL tickets, use promo code BSNFL, download the SeatGeek app, or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Hotel Tonight, the app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. I used this two weekends ago. My daughter had a soccer tournament in San Diego, had to scramble for a great hotel room, as it turned out. Thanks to Hotel Tonight. They have everything up to seven days in advance to give you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you will score a great price and a great place to stay. Get in on these killer last-minute deals. Download the Hotel Tonight app now. And finally, we are brought to you by DirecTV. If you live in an apartment or an enrolled college student, you can get NFL Sunday Ticket without a satellite. It's true. To see if you're eligible, go online to nflsundayticket.tv. Stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season and follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code Bill Simmons at checkout to save 15%. Again, that's NFL Sunday ticket.tv. Promo code Bill Simmons. Chris Ryan is here. We have been circling this movie for a while for the Rewatchables franchise. Chris, are you a size 14? <laughs> I do feel like I have dry skin today. <laughs> Sounds of the lamps coming up. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits with the darkest of all minds. Just do your job and never forget what he is. But he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? Ah. Wow. Apologies to Joe House. I wanted him as the third person for this, but unfortunately he lives in Washington, D.C. We didn't want to do this by phone. It's me and Chris Ryan, the OGs, the originals. The original rewatchers on the other, wall. Yeah. We've had other hosts for this podcast. You and I have done a bunch. Julia and Amanda did You Got Mail. Did a giant point break one. We haven't done one for a few weeks. Now we're back. What better movie to do than Silence of the Lambs? Um, God, where to begin? It's only the third film to win five of five in the major Oscars. Yeah, it swept it, the top five. It would kind of be like if the Oakland A's had won the World Series during any of the Moneyball years, because like Orion Pictures, the, the company behind Silence Lamps, was like literally going out of business during the awards season, during yeah. the awards push. So it's just like a miracle that it won all those awards. The five best actor, best actress, director, screenplay, and obviously best movie. It has only happened two other times. It happened one night, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Has yeah. not happened since. Came out in uh, 1991. It's the third horror movie to get nominated. I don't. I think it's a thriller. I think that that's a, one of the most interesting conversations about it. I say thriller. I think. I think it's a thriller. I think it uses tropes from horror movies really effectively. Yeah. There's a lot of like, I mean, the night vision scene. There's a lot of walking down hallways that you're not supposed to go down. 
but they turn all those scenes on their head. They the scares don't happen when you think that they're going to happen. No. It's a thriller. It's it's the perfect definition of an awesome awesome thriller. People think it's a horror movie. It's the first horror movie if you think of one that way. Think of it that way. That's ever won best picture. Only the third to get nominated. Hopkins in 1991 Anthony Hopkins as Lecter. One of the great performances, I would say, of the last 30 years. Less than 25 minutes of screen time. He has either eight or nine scenes total. He only has four scenes with Jodie Foster. He beat out De Niro, Bridges, Nolte, and Robin Williams. It's <laughs> a good year. For the Oscar. Is this the best supporting actor or best actor? Because I've always felt like it was the best supporting actor. Well, this is sort of also where you start to get into people being put in positions. Like, did Anthony Hopkins didn't spend any more time on screen than Sean Connery did in The Untouchables. Right. But Sean Connery got nominated, I think, one for supporting actor, and it was a real, like, make good on his entire career kind of award. And in some ways, that's what happened with Hopkins here, but they they can manipulate this stuff to give people their best shot. I'm not sure who was nominated for best supporting actor that year. I happen to have that information, Chris Ryan. If he's nominated for best supporting actor and he wins... We never get Jack Palance and City Slickers. Oh, my God. <laughs> we never get the push-ups. And then we never get the following year where the Best Supporting Actor winner hands out Best Supporting Actress. Yeah. And he allegedly said Marissa Tomei, even though somebody else won. Even though Mira Sorvino won? Is that the and thing? That was always the urban legend. Who knows if that's true? So none of that happens. And if he's not nominated for Best Actor, who wins out of De Niro for Cape Fear? Jeff Bridges for- um, Is that Fearless? Fisher King, Robin Williams for Fisher King, Nick Nolte for something. I don't even remember what movies those were in. I think De Niro wins for Cape oh, Fear. Yeah. yeah. And kind of argue he has a case anyway. Well, it, it's, there's, they're not similar performances per se, but they are both like thriller villains. Like, yeah. so that the, it, it is interesting to think about that. Yeah. He kind of became the Cape Fear guy, Max Cady. Yeah. Southern accent. Like <laughs> yeah. De Niro, the Southern accent should have gone terribly. It went great. Jodie Foster. In general, a year for bold female characters. Mm -hmm. I was actually taking a movie class at Holy Cross this year, and all these movies were coming out. We were writing about them. She beat out Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis for, for Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Susan Sarandon should have won the Oscar that year. Is is my my first? It's not a hot take. It's a lukewarm take. I think history's on my side. Susan Sarandon's the best out of those three performances, in my opinion. You could make a case this. Sansa Limbs is actually better with other actresses. I'm also not it's also really like Susan Sarandon throwing like 101, like because that's coming off of Bull Durham, Thelma yeah. Louise. Yeah, it's just a, it, it was a slightly harder performance, I think. But anyway, uh, Jonathan Demi beat out these four people for best director: John Singleton, Boys in the Hood, mm -hmm. Ridley Scott, Thelma Louise, Oliver Stone for JFK, your favorite movie, Gosh. and uh, Barry Levinson for Bugsy. Oh, wow. Bugsy. Which Bugsy had, for some reason, carried Oscar weight. It's well, a movie that has There was has a time no... where, where Premiere Magazine would essentially, like if Warren Beatty was doing it, if Warren Beatty sneezed in Beverly Hills, yeah. there would be like a special issue of Premiere Magazine for it. So I remember when Bugsy was coming, it was like, is the world ready for Bugsy? Oh my God. And it was like, Bugsy came out and was like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's like, he didn't get, he didn't even get nominated for it. No. And that was like a huge, I think that was like a huge thing for him because he makes a movie every seven or eight years. So- the reason I brought up Bugsy, Harvey Keitel and Ben Kingsley nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Jack Palance, which we mentioned, Tommy Lee Jones for JFK, Michael Lerner for Barton Fink. You didn't know who didn't get nominated? 
Ted Levine. Oh, man. For Jame Gum. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. What else did the man have to do? I don't know. And then, Has you there know, been he, a more <laughs> iconic supporting actor performance since 1990 than it's Ted It's probably Levine. the highest, like, in terms of the impact that he has on our consciousness. You should, you should have gotten nominated for uh, Goodbye Horses alone. We're going to talk a lot about Ted Levine. But just to set up when this movie came, just where it came, 1991. The 80s, had, it was a weird horror movie era. Mm-hmm. Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Horror movies done a certain way. The thriller had not really, did not have really a lot of momentum. Misery came out the year before. Old school thriller, great. Only a couple people in it. But this I think with movie, Stephen King, you kind of associate that almost more with a horror kind of thing, right? Yeah, but like, but Misery was, I don't feel like Misery was a Stephen King movie. Like the Stephen King movies of the 80s were like Firestarter yeah. and all those kind of old school horror movies. Cape Fear, Misery, Silence of the Lambs, Basic Instinct came out in 92. This was kind of the glory years mm-hmm. of this new modern thriller. When Sleeping with the Enemy and Hand the Rocks the Cradle, is that around that time as well? Oh, that was the From Hell yeah. era. Yeah, that also started. Sleeping with the Enemy, I think, was 91 too. That kicked off that whole era of Nanny from Hell, Ex-Wife from Hell, Fatal Attraction, Sleeping I guess, Sleeping with the Enemy is 91, yeah. Yeah, Fatal Attraction created it, and then you had yeah. all these copycats. Jonathan Demme had not really had a major movie like this before. No, I mean, so he, this is his 11th movie, 10th or 11th movie, and he comes up through Roger Corman's, which is sort of like the late 60s, 70s exploitation factory where guys you yeah. know, you'd go and you'd, you know, you'd make three movies in a year, and it would be about like women in prison. They'd be kind of B-movies, but a lot of people came through working under Corman, who went on to do great things. I think Scorsese or Spielberg did. Like a lot of people from that 70s era, like kind of came through the Roger Corman system. And he'd made a bunch of just amazing movies, you know, um, Something Wild. Married to the Mob. Married to the Mob. He had made that Talking Heads movie, Stop Making Sense, which is probably the best concert movie ever made. It's amazing. It's incredible. So Demi, you know, unlike now where, and we just saw this with the guy, Colin Trevorrow, who got let go from the Star Wars movie. People make one or two two movies and they're handed these enormous projects. Like, yeah. you, know, you got to go make this Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie and to varying results. This is more of a time when you would make like five, six, eight movies to get your sea legs before you were given something this important. And Silence of the Lambs had a kind of interesting production or development history. Hold but on, wait, save that. I, yeah, I do, but it was a bestseller. Like people yeah. were anticipating this. Well, what's interesting, I didn't realize until we did the research, Manhunter comes out in 86, which yeah. I love. I'm pro Manhunter. I'm going to say, I, I, I will say up top, I like Manhunter more than Silence of the Lambs, but it's, I it's love that Michael Mann, Miami, yeah. Vi- Miami yeah. Vice era, just the way they use the, the Florida and everything yeah. is just, but it didn't do well in the box no, office. Bond. So Dino De Laurentiis, who owned the rights to all this stuff, felt bad that the movie didn't make the box office money back that they spent on it. And he just gave them this book. Yeah. They didn't have to pay for it, which is crazy. And we'll get to later who who ended up buying it. But one thing I was shocked by, because it feels like Anthony Hopkins is a major, awesome, iconic actor. Mm-hmm. And he just wasn't until nope. this movie came out. And you go through the 80s with him. The most famous movie he'd ever been in was The Elephant Man in 1980. The second most famous was maybe The Bounty with Mel Gibson in 1984 because it was post-Road Warrior and Mel yeah. Gibson had a lot of momentum. 
He was ice cold when this movie came out. Yeah. I mean, and it's he was such a, a great part. It's hard to believe he was the one that got the part. Kind of comes up after he's like the post Olivier Richard Burton, British actor generation. Right. But doesn't but do as much stuff as Michael Caine. Yeah. Like whereas Michael Caine would just be in like Jaws 4 right. or 3 or whatever. Michael Caine was available for this. Yeah, I'm sure he, he was. He can't believe he wasn't Hannibal Lecter. But yeah, Hopkins was sort of a, you know, like I mean, he was doing stage I think he was right. doing theater. He was doing Madam Butterfly at the time. Super yeah. respected stage actor yeah. who had not had the Hollywood success. Jodie Foster, she's coming up. She's like, this is the next great actress, you know, as a child actor. Taxi driver, yeah. Goes to Yale. She's like, I'm going to do it the right way and doesn't get really corrupted by the whole Hollywood system. Then when she wins um, for The Accused in 1988, it's like, this is great. She's the next great next actress. Next Meryl Streep, yeah. Well, so I guess she, Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep at that yeah, time. But yeah, so she was- kind of the big hook for this other than that the book was famous and then after this movie her 1990s were really bad here here's the list i was shocked little man tate summersby maverick nell which is really 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 horrible <laughs> what's the opposite of rewatchable it should almost be on the comedy channel <laughs> yeah. uh home for the holidays contact which somehow made our top 25 space week i think that movie's atrocious and anna and the king so it kind of caught her at the perfect time. And then it caught Hopkins right before he had this whole second act yeah. as, as a big ass star. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to really explain how big this movie was when it came out. I don't, I'm not positive movies matter in the same way anymore because there's so much more to do. So do you remember, was this a word of mouth catches on kind of movie Both. or were you anticipating this? Like Silence Both. of the Lambs was out there. You knew about it. You were ready. I was in college. Word of mouth was out. It was like, this is going to be good. This was a time period where you would get the blockbuster beach read of the year. So Presumed Innocent, True. The Firm, Silence of the Lambs. Everybody you would walk by in the summer had this tattered copy of this. It was a huge paperback. Yeah. And Hollywood was very good at saying, within two or three years, we're going to get this on screens, if not sooner. And you know now they do a lot where they buy things before they even come out as books or you know they they, they get things made. But- we might as well tell the story now about who bought the book rights for this. Yeah, tell I find this, this, I didn't think that Silence <laughs> of the because you watched Silence of the Lambs and, you know, we were joking about, I think Zach was saying this before we started, no fat, just like absolutely yeah, you would think that tight. not a single day went wrong on the set. It's a filet mignon on the bone. Yeah. So the originally it was bought 50-50 by Mike Metavoy at Orion with Gene Hackman and Gene Hackman was going to direct it. Which is funny in itself because did Gene Hackman like ever direct anything? I don't even know. Okay, so Hackman was, was pretty popular. famous for like his do everything in one take and get off the set. That's more Eastwood where he's just like, can we be done by lunch? Okay. But Hackman bought the rights. He was going to direct it, maybe star in it, or maybe he would just play Jack Crawford. That was like sort Which, of- By would, the way, still should have played Jack been great, Crawford. But yeah. Scott Glenn's amazing in this. Eh. And uh, they hired Ted Talley, who you know, wrote the screenplay. It's one of the great screenplays of the last 30, 40 years. And Mississippi Burning comes out. Very controversial movie. And Hackman's daughter tells him, you can't make Silence of the Lambs. It's way too violent. And so he backs out. And he he backs out. And I think that Orion basically gave him the half of the money that he had put up for the movie. And they take it over. And they bring on Jonathan Demi. And when Jonathan Demi comes on, they start searching around for different people to play Lecter. Apparently, Sean Connery, like, not only said no, but was like, Absolutely not. This is grotesque. No way. <laughs> and there was that about a bunch of different people, whether it was um, you know, Connery said no, Hackman was out, 
Jeremy Irons too. Yeah. Wouldn't do it because of uh was it because of reversal of fortune? He didn't want to play two bad guys in a row. Miss, well, he won the Oscar for yeah. reversal of fortune, right? Understandable at the time. He didn't know this was gonna be what how would Sean Connery have said the lector lines? A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with fava beans. No, it's not gonna work. Ed Harris turned out Jack Crawford. Yeah. Because he wanted Lecter. Yeah. Ed Harris had kind of a it's heat a check. Bit, it's a little Dion Waiters of you. That's a heat check. <laughs> yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer, first choice for Clarice. Mm-hmm. We can this have this conversation. I think that that is... Turned it down, too violent. I, I think it would have been interesting. And she had worked with Demi before I married to the mob. When I heard that, I was like, oh man, that would have been really cool. Meg Ryan turned this down too. This is when Meg Ryan was getting offered anything and everything because she was a gigantic, lovable star, which led to her being cast in The Doors, which was such a misfire. I'll defend The Doors to the death, but the Meg Ryan <laughs> casting, wow. So the point is, this movie could have really gone wrong if Gene Hackman's playing Hannibal Lecter. This movie is now, it's on cable at two in the morning yeah. and it's on, uh, it's not even on a good cable channel. It's on like Encore West. <laughs> so let's go through some categories. But before we do, I want to talk about Sonos and I want to make weird noises with my computer. If you want to experience TV, movies and music with sound you can feel from a speaker you hardly notice, Playbase from Sonos gives you just that. I can't remember how many terrible home audio systems I've had over the years. Playbase is great for movies, sports, TV shows, gaming. Slim, low-profile, adds dynamic, pulse-pounding sound to whatever's playing on your TV. It even streams your favorite music when it's off. And it was created for TVs that sit on stands and furniture. No wall mount required. One power cord, one optical cord is all it takes. Sonos app will guide you through every step. Supports TVs up to 75 pounds. Works with just about everything. TV, cable box, universal remotes. Everything sounds better on Playbase. And now, for the first time ever, Sonos is offering listeners of the rewatchables. That includes you guys, because you're listeners of the rewatchables. 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer available for a limited time only. Cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions or lotion in a basket anything <laughs> just use the promo code rewatchables10 so rewatchables10 at sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer that is s o n o s.com code rewatchables so rewatchables10 okay we're going to bang out the categories and we'll be able to talk about this fantastic movie most rewatchable scene here's what i have clarice sees lecter for the first time and we meet Miggs. Yeah. Lester takes out two officers who made the mistake of bringing him dinner and not making sure he was handcuffed. The ambulance escape, the entire put the lotion in the basket scene, or Clarice drops in on James Gum. I'm going to give you those five. So I'm going to go Lecter attacks the two guards with the, with the opera playing in the background. I concur. That I'm is gonna, the scariest thing that I, I, I was so haunted by that when that happened. Cause I'm going to go even further from the moment she goes to see him in that crazy, whatever that yeah. fifth floor mock jail setup thing, which was really poorly designed for, but put a camera in there, just put one security camera somewhere in the fifth floor. 
she goes in, they do the whole thing, the covet, the, do you hear the lambs crying, that whole thing. Yeah. Dr. Lecter, Dr. That goes right to the dinner scene, which goes right to the, what the hell's going on in the fifth floor, which goes right <laughs> to the bleeding elevator, which goes right to the ambulance. To the, he's wearing his face. Oh, yeah. he's wearing the face. I mean, it's one of the best like 22 minute sequences of any movie. It's incredible. So we both agree. Lecter taking out the two officers. Yeah. Is it just the best moment of this movie? It's one of the best moments of my life. It's unbelievable. And the fact that before they they te- they foreshadow it, Dr. Chiltern says, you know, you, he attacked this nurse and his pulse never rose above X right. number. So that when he attacks them in the uh, cell and he's so calm and he's just like swinging the club yeah. and stuff, it's just like, oh. <gasps> It's great. Yeah. It's it's kind of the best movies have these little moments you can see in your head and you can kind of it's just indelibly etched him just with the baton, the police baton, yeah. just like calmly just taking him down. Best casting, what ifs we did already. What's aged the best? A lot of options for this. I'm just gonna rip through them. The concept of a face-eating serial killer also happens to be a genius. This is great. Can't, can't Works go wrong. right now. 2017, yeah. I'm in. Buffalo Bill slash James Gum. I like the James and not the James Gum. Yeah. I've never met another James in my life. <laughs> if we were hiring someone for the ringer, I'd be like, hey, here's here's James. If you were James hiring someone for the ringer, would you be like, do you really like butterflies? Is that like a number one question? <laughs> His name was James. Yeah. I'm like, how have you not changed that yet? You're yeah. the name of a serial killer. The Lecter mask slash slash stretcher. Mm-hmm. Is completely underrated now, 26 years yeah. later. It, it is just magnificent. I remember after the Artest melee joking that that's how they should have wheeled Rudd Artest out <laughs> for, for Pacer Graves. We mentioned the the Lamb Chop Elevator Ambulance Stretch, which is outrageous. Night Goggles as a murder aid. Amazing. Was this the first movie that used Night Goggles as a murder aid? I think... Well, there's a scene in Manhunter that definitely takes place in the dark. I can't remember. Night goggles. This is the most prominent use of my night goggles in a Hollywood movie. Until yet. Rick Solomon and Paris Hilton. There you go. That's like number two. You did it. Zach Mack said if he ever murdered anyone, it would be night goggles in dark. That's that's, that's He said he chill. wouldn't murder anyone, but if he did- Patriot Games, great <laughs> night goggles. A lot of, Ooh, a lot of night go. goggles. In the like, last 40 minutes of Zero Dark 30 are night goggles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough to pull off. This yeah. movie pulled it off. I actually w- I hadn't watched the last half hour in a couple of years and I wanted the night goggles to be dated and they, it just not, there's nothing dated about this movie other than no cell phones. The concept of your first murder being someone you covet. I think that's aged really well. Yeah. It made me rethink like any murder investigation ever, like go look at the first person. It's probably somebody they'd been circling for a while. Mm-hmm. versus totally random. The music's great. I could talk about the music all day long. The music's just great. It just it just makes me scared. They've got like a Bernard Herman Hitchcock score going throughout it, but then the choice of songs in this. Oh, like the Tom Petty song? Yeah. I mean, the fact that Catherine Martin's listening to American Girl and singing along to it, which in 91, too, you would have been like, yeah, this song's pretty great. I forgot yeah. about this. It's, you can still watch it today, and it says everything you need to know about her 
yeah. in like 20 seconds and you're automatically like, I'm really pulling for this girl. I hope she doesn't get attacked by James Gum. And it's like, oh no, <laughs> James Gum's don't like- help anybody weird move furniture into a van. That I mean, is like that, the biggest lesson of this movie. It's 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 a great lesson in life. Yeah. I mean, I, I would hope my daughter would realize it. Just don't help people trying to move furniture. Don't help anyone trying to do anything. If with anybody a van. has a broken arm, you don't want to know why yeah. they broke Cast, their arm. No, yeah. van. The vanishing with Jeff Bridges, that's another one. Yeah. Like, oh, can you help me? They're in the backseat. And the ending, I think, not just that there's two endings to this movie, which doesn't usually work. But this movie has the, uh, she kills James Gum at the end. Yeah. But then the second ending with Hannibal Lecter and the, I'm having an old friend for dinner, Yeah, which is one of the best, Dr. Lecter, Dr. Lecter. Incredible. So what do you think's aged the best out of all of those things? I'm going to go with the music only as a tribute to Demi because he was so good at using music in movies. And I think it actually is one of those like really grounding things in this movie and also like the score is so creepy yeah and it's so haunting what do you think it is i think the concept of this kind of serial killer the two serial killers they had in this movie it's gone wrong in so many different movies and here's one where it's like two of the best ideas anyone's ever come up with for a serial like a genius psychiatrist who also likes to just kill people and eat them. Well, did you know anything about like the behavioral sciences stuff before you saw this movie? And that's like the, this movie does a great job of throwing you in the deep end, but still giving you like, because you're basically going along with Clarice and she's very smart, but is still learning the, the ropes of like some of these investigative techniques, but she already is like training to do it. You're kind of learning it with her, but you're, in an advanced state. So you kind of like, as soon as they start talking and she's in the backseat when they're driving in West Virginia and she's like, well, he's, he's a 30, he's probably a white male because serial killers tend to hunt in their own ethnic groups. And he's now he's getting, he's not going to stop because he's got a taste for it. All this stuff that like in cop movies growing up, the cop movies that we saw, the cops were like Gene Hackman and French connection or dirty Harry. And they were just like, I don't care. We're just going after this guy. He's crazy. And yeah. he left, he left a glove at the yeah, murder scene. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess maybe Dr. Loomis and Halloween is doing a lot of like work on like who Michael is or whatever. But yeah, I mean, um, I can't think of another detective where it's like, we're really investigating the psychology of this murderer. Dr. Loomis was more, he was more the, I watched him for 15 years. Yeah, it was like a lot guessed. of personal stuff. Yeah. It was like, if you watch him for 15 years, why'd you let him out? You this moron? one's on you. Yeah. This one's on you. I'm with you. I, I think they dive so deep into actually putting together a jigsaw puzzle for how they would find somebody. It feels totally authentic. And she's learning. She's gaining knowledge mm-hmm. as the movie goes along. And that leads to the scene, scene with her and Adelia. Yeah. I think is her name. Cassie Lemons. Somewhere near the end, and she's like, "Well, what does he have? He covets." And they start they start doing that whole thought process, yeah. and she realizes the first victim. She's got to circle back right. and find out. But it, it it it's not one of those like in some of these movies you have a moment like that, and it's like well, how'd they get to that point? Yeah, that's the, weird. The, like the light bulb moment where yeah. they're like, "Oh, you've just figured out this incredible conspiracy because you were staring at a corkboard or something." Yeah, the light bulb moment is earned. Yes. Which never happens and is one of the reasons this movie went five for five in the Oscars. I forgot to mention for what age the best. Jonathan Demi, he did this with Silence of the Limbs and then Philadelphia right after, which in terms of one, two punches mm-hmm. for a director. Yeah, it's 91 and Philadelphia's 93. He won the best director for both. Yep. Doesn't happen very often. No. 
he his movies had that distinct tactic that now so many people use you wouldn't even realize it, but where he would have the actors say the line, they're staring into the yeah. camera. I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So did he invent that or did he, he borrow invent that from it somebody? Per se, but I think that he definitely uses it in a way that I don't know that anybody had ever done that before. I think that there's like in some French new wave movies and there's like a lot of like, I'm sure experimental films that use extreme close up with the actor directing their dialogue into the camera. But I think that in this movie, I was rewatching this on Sunday and it's just like, you immediately feel so close to the characters because the characters and especially Clarice, like when she first meets Jack, and Jack's talking, he's talking straight into the camera. She's talking a little bit camera right to Jack. So you feel like you're Clarice. You're getting talked to, and he's the one who's like, and you know, the fact that he's basically using her as bait is part of this. It's like the the way that they do those close-ups, it makes you feel like you are so, you're in the cell with him. You are in these little dingy offices with the FBI guys. It is such an immersive tactic and it makes you feel so close to the actor. I mean, you just can't not think, the fact that we're talking about, oh, well, who else would play these roles? Nobody. Because like, you're just, you're by the end of the movie, Claire, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins' face are burned into your mind. Well, it's interesting. I agree with everything you said. He only picks a couple characters to do it. Yeah. Like he, we don't. James Gum never stares don't do in the it with camera. Catherine Martin. Yeah, doesn't do it with the any of the victims. And there's so much stuff in the beginning of this movie. Like, I just want to talk really quickly about the beginning of the movie because yeah. I notice it, a lot of Hollywood movies now. I think would not bring Hopkins in to about the 30 minute mark. Maybe. I mean, like I think the, that would be a little bit of a stretch. But it's the shark from Jaws. Yeah, Swayze and Point Break kind of kind exactly. Of he shows up later. 11 minutes and 50 seconds into the movie. Yeah pretty much right after the credits. It's a great credit sequence, which is just following her all through Quantico. And she finds out about this case and she's told to go on this, do this, you know, fake survey for, for Lecter. And the way the camera moves around her during the credits is basically like following her. We're immediately set up in this world where we're following Clarice and someone's yeah. watching her. She's always being like the guys, every time she passes a group of guys, they like turn around and look at her and you just immediately like, you well, see how small she is compared to the other being, guys. She's being perceived by something. She's being like yeah. stalked. And it just sets up that scene with Lecter and his immediately being like, what perfume are you wearing? I know what perfume you wear. It's like, you just, it's just, it's so effective. So, but the fact that it just goes so fast and you're like, wow, we are in this mental institution, the criminal, the criminal insane, criminally insane hospital so quickly into the movie is like so effective. Yeah. And it was this nice run for, um, for female characters mm-hmm. where I didn't even really realize this when I rewatched it. And then I was doing the research, like people feel like Clarice was an important character. Yeah. yeah. It was the uh, female character in distress who actually wasn't like just Jamie Lee Curtis and them running across the house. People, yeah. Um, yeah. So you had her, you had Thumb and Louise and Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct, you know, all these different types of these kind of empowered female characters. And she was definitely a part of it. The Demi, the tactic of Philadelphia would even work better. I mean, that's a huge yeah. part of Philadelphia, yeah. which is a movie that has not aged well for the most part, just because of the uh, some of the content choices. It's also like largely a, cor- years a, later. a courtroom drama. You, you know, yeah. like I think people thought it was going to be a movie that was largely about AIDS activism and homosexual rights and it's it is that, but it's largely like this this Denzel Washington lawyer drama, and it, it's basically the theme of Philadelphia is 
Denzel Washington hates gays. And then he learns they're real people too, which just does not age well 25 years later. Uh, Speaking of not aging well, what's age the worst? Here are choices. The opening graphics, unbelievable music and the graphics- I almost feel like they need to just They're double like back. X, X-Files, yeah. Yeah, it's like that weird early 90s graphic. No, they didn't know how to do graphics that well. They kind of remind me of Twin Peaks. The Crawford-Clarice relationship, it's like it was missing a scene. That's probably my biggest nitpick with the movie. There's a scene where they're in a hotel bar at 11 at night, and he's kind of hitting on her, but not totally. And that we We didn't have that one extra something. The trans stuff... Hasn't aged great because we have more knowledge, but at the same time, like you're doing a movie about serial killers, like who, who, whatever the serial killer is into, it's not going to be flattering to whatever no. demo he's in. The one bad thing that's happened with this movie is Hannibal, the sequel. Yeah. That everybody, nobody wanted to do except Hopkins because he got a huge paycheck. Julianne Moore is in there as Starling and Ed Norton. I, I just didn't like that movie. I saw it in the theater and I don't even know if I've watched it. Oh, that's that Red Dragon because they made Red Dragon with Ed Norton. Red Dragon, I don't even care. Yeah. It's just weird. He's older than Lecter. He's older than he was in Lambs by 10 years, but it's a prequel. Yeah. I have a lot of problems with it and it's tainted how I feel about Lambs by like 2%. So people love Hannibal, the show. I think that's aged the worst. And I think that one of the things that's tough with this whole thing is it's one of the most complicated like rights situations. Like I guess some people own the character rights to some of the characters and then some of them are like open so they can, they've been, they on Hannibal they retold the Will Graham story, which is Manhunter. And I think they were working on getting the rights to Clarice so that they could do Silence of the Lambs with future seasons of Hannibal, which would have been cool. But yeah, it's definitely not become, it never became the franchise that I think people thought it was going to be. Silence of the Lambs, the TV series would be good. My wife was saying that uh, if they redid this movie, which they should never do since it won all the Oscars, Kristen Stewart would be an amazing Clarice. Yeah. I also just, good, I thought, I like J-Law too, but I support J-Law. What for would James Gum's Facebook page be like? I, I don't eat, you know, like that just seems like it would be like a pretty easy tip off. You know, like, uh, yeah. My, <laughs> do, do you like listening to Tom Petty? I, <laughs> Can you help me with my sofa? <laughs> I'll tell you, I would be friends with James Gum on Facebook <laughs> if that page existed. I think the Cla- the Crawford Clarice relationship for I'll me go is t- I'll, I'll go the title graphics. I like that you okay. picked that out. Thank you. Have fast internet research corner. Jodie Foster said during the first Lecter Clarice meeting, Hopkins mocked her Southern accent, improvised it on the spot, threw her off. The horrified reaction is genuine. She felt personally attacked by him. Yeah. And he did it for effect. I love when the actor, when the really good actors freak out the other actor as a way to get a better whatever from them. Yeah. Sir Anthony. And it was something about how like it sounded like Californian, the way she was trying to do like a suppressed Southern accent, but then it fixed it somehow. Like getting, It's getting... not a great accent. It's one of my many problems with uh, her performance in this. Jame Gum, combination of three real life serial killers. Ed Gein, who skinned his victims. Ted Bundy, okay. the famous Ted Bundy, my favorite serial killer. <laughs> escaped, went back and killed someone who escaped immediately went to the sorority house did more murders. <laughs> Ted Bundy wasn't real. How was he a real human being? <laughs> and then uh, Gary Hednick, who kept women he kidnapped in a pit in his basement. Oh, geez. So it was an amalgam of those, of those three yeah. great guys. Gene Siskel gave Silence of the Lambs a negative review. Did he really? I, I think Gene Siskel, it's like, you know how me and uh, Greenwald never agree on anything? Siskel was your Greenwald? I think Siskel was my movie Greenwald. <laughs> okay. Brooke Smith, who played Catherine Martin. Yeah. 
first major role, gained 25 pounds. Yeah. Really wanted it. Wanted it. She ate her way to becoming and a I think size she's 14. Gone on, she went on to be like on Grey's Anatomy and a bunch of other stuff. Are we sure she shouldn't have been nominated? Best supporting Does actress? Does a great job. They're throwing Oscars around left and right. <laughs> they didn't have Rupert Catherine Smith. The Tuck Dance song. Goodbye Horses. By Q Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Originally was supposed to be Bob Seger's Her Strut. I'm glad it and was not. And that was the scene that te- that Ted Levine danced to in the Tuck Dance Can CD. you Do you ever- Dance to a Bob Seger Does song. Goodbye Horses ever come on in the car or at restaurants for you? If it ever did, I would immediately start doing the James Gum. I would go full James Gum. At like Gracias Madre, you would, would just that, do that. What restaurant would play that song? I don't know. I feel like you're in a bar. Somebody puts it on. If somebody put that on in a bar, I feel like every guy in our age group would look around and yeah. start doing, start pulling their nipples out like James Gum. <laughs> Ted Levine insisted on the tuck dance being in the movie. I mean, did he? Get, is that his call? Yeah, Ted Tally. The Ted Tally. Yeah. Did not know that was going to be in the movie. That when must he have saw been a surprise. Yeah. yeah, the whole scene was like improvised, the nipple ring, all that. Ted Levine needed two drinks before he did it. And he also went to a bunch of different bars, trans bars, all, talked to all people, did a bunch of research. So did Scott Glenn for Jack Crawford, yeah. which I didn't totally understand. He was like looking at child murder cases and, and like apparently, still scarred by it. Scott Glenn worked with a guy who, the, the you know, the quote unquote, the real Jack Crawford. And he worked with him like for research purposes. And they had a lot of like political disagreements during the process of uh, like Scott Glenn, very anti-capital punishment. Mm. And this guy was like, I'm going to show you a bunch of re- reasons why there should be capital punishment. And just had, they had like, it was a very tempestuous working and relationship. Scott Glenn murdered him. <laughs> so you're happy with Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford. I am happy with Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford. Tommy Lee Jones wouldn't have made it push over I think Scott Glenn's frame. incredible. So that's like the perfect Scott Glenn role too. Tommy Lee Jones is Hannibal Lecter? No, I, I can't no see anybody, but but I, I'm glad it wasn't Redford or Hoffman or Duba- or Robert Duvall or Robert Duvall Denier. was in there too. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis is Lecter? Was it a little early for him? Well, I'm just, if you, I'm trying to think who would have been a better Lecter. Well, if you're recasting it, you could give it a shot. Yeah. The Silence of Lambs was inspired by the real life relationship between a criminology professor from University of Washington, a profiler, Robert Keppel. And my favorite serial killer, Ted Bundy. Yeah. And that's how they caught the uh, Green River serial killer in Washington. So that inspired that. Did you have like serial killer fever when you were younger? Like when, like, who wh- didn't? Well, because they were covered in a different way. It wasn't Nancy Grace yet. So I feel like they would be like on the National Choir or sometimes they would make like people or something like that. And then there would be local news. I'm trying to remember. I mean, the 70s was really when it ran amok yeah. before. Because, I, I mean, it was just such a better time for serial killers with hitchhikers. Do you remember Zodiac? They, there was no evidence. I don't remember Zodiac. I remember the 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 terrible one, which is was such an unfun serial killer that they would never even make a movie out of him, is the Atlanta child killer, uh-huh. Wayne Williams. The the not a not not a great serial killer. Did yeah. not like Wayne Williams. But the uh, the Green River, they've tried to make movies from a lot of these people, and really none of them have worked except Zodiac. And I think, and this one obviously, but it was a fake. But out of the real ones, that had Fincher and all these people. But what other great real life Sirica? Like, how has the Ted Bundy not been a movie? No, I mean they tried to make Son of Sam. Spike Lee tried to make Summer Sam. Didn't really work. It never works. Did you have any half ass in Yeah, I got a good one. Let's hear it. So you were asking about the Crawford and Clarice relationship and yeah. how it was kind of missing something. So they finished the movie, ostensibly finished the movie. I think it's pretty much locked and they showed it 
they had an LA screening of some sort. And among the people who were invited by some, like, I guess by Orion or whatever was William Goldman, your buddy, William Goldman. Yeah. So William Goldman comes and he's obviously this renowned script doctor and, and, and also like screenwriter in his own right novelist. And there's this whole sequence, a 12 minute sequence between Crawford and Clarice where they get in trouble for their investigation. Like the attorney general, like chews them out, kicks Clarice out of the Academy, takes oh, no. Crawford off the case. And they have like a whole like back and forth. Like, what are we going to do? And Crawford's like, was nothing. this filmed? Filmed 12 minute sequence. They thought it was like the key to the third act was this sequence. They shoot it. And Jonathan Demi says that in this deadline oral history that Goldman gives him a call the next day. And he's like, love the movie. Just want you to think about that, that sequence. Just take it out. And Demi's like, I can't do that. Like, that's like the most important. Just think about it. Just take it out. And they go back and they like, he's like, even the editor was like, God damn it. Like this thing is done. Like I'm done. They go back, they take out that sequence so that basically it goes right up to her driving to the house. Yeah. And it just, it worked. It was just, it was like perfect. And this movie is like the tightest hour and 54 minutes. I do wonder what it would have felt like if it was like two hours and 10, two hours and 12 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's why he's the best. So shout out to William Goldman. He was the same one who read the Goodwill Hunting script and was like, take out the part, take out the second half of the script. Yeah. Just make it about Will Hunting. Yeah. I don't care when he starts saving the world. Yeah, doesn't he Get become like a secret agent? Yeah, he became like a spy. Yeah. So I, I thought that was really cool. Uh, that, there's That's nothing a great one. Really else, like, you know, like we covered all the other stuff with Hackman and stuff, but I thought that the William Goldman thing is was really interesting. We have some great categories up. I want to talk quickly about Bombfell. An online personal styling service helps men find the right clothes for them. Unlike other services, no fees to work with them, so it costs nothing to sign up. Simple and straightforward. Complete a questionnaire and a dedicated personal stylist will handpick pieces specifically for you. And once you've viewed the selections, you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control. Pay for the clothes you keep. You have the option of receiving clothes once every one, two, or three months. Bombfeld is on your side and they don't make money if you don't find something you want to keep. Best of all, we've negotiated with the Bombfell to get our listeners a special offer. $25 off your first purchase. All you have to do is go to bombfell.com slash rewatchables. This is the only way I'm going to buy clothes. By, by well, When I find out the about these stuff? places, yeah. then I use them. Otherwise, I'm too lazy to go to the store. Okay. I need Bombfell. Uh, that is B-O-M-B F-E-L-L dot com slash rewatchables. You get $25 off your first purchase. Bombfell.com. Bombfell. Open and clothes. I like that tagline. All right. Now we're in the entree part of this podcast. Can get you some veal and some fava beans, Chris. <laughs> the Dion Waiters Award. Best heat check performance by a role player. I'm just going to go. We know who wins. Yeah. We've never had one where it's just clearly there's no <laughs> argument. We just move on. I'll go through all the nominees, though, just so they feel good about themselves. The guy who played Dr. Frederick Ch Chilton, a.k.a. Anthony Heald, whose name I never knew until I looked it up two days ago. He's he's really he good at being that guy. one of those guys. Yeah. Oh, my God, I see that guy. Yeah. He's such a that guy. I don't even know what other movies I've seen him in, but I know he's been in 10 movies that I like. Charles Napier. I liked him in this. In as this. Lieutenant yeah. Boyle. Great death scene. Yeah. Ah! Yeah, it's just it's a great scream. What does he say? He's like, you treat me right, I'll treat you right. Yeah. yeah. Chris Isaac, the peak of Chris Isaac, yeah. which we're going to get to. And then finally, of course, Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill, 
so great in this movie, so robbed of a best supporting actor. I rooted for him every time I saw him ever since. I remember when I went to see Heat and I didn't I didn't know everyone who was in it. And when I saw Buffalo Bill and Heat, I was already having the best time I had. In I was also like, you guys got to keep an eye on this detective because I feel like he's going to do something super yeah. creepy. Or he's going to get killed. But it was really, he's probably pigeonholed a little bit by that role. Yeah. It's hard to not see him as Buffalo Bill. Apex Mountain. Great. So he, by the way, I don't think anyone's ever won the Deion Waiters Award more convincingly than no. Ted Levine. I don't know if we'll ever see it again. It is, he goes, he takes eight shots, all from three, all are 25 feet or more. He makes all of them. Um, I think his plus minus is like plus 38 for 12 minutes. His team was on a 38 nothing. It's just incredible. Apex Mountain. Anthony Hopkins. Yes. 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 This is the apex yes. for him. Ted Levine. Yes. Yeah. The Apex, not just for him, but for all actors. Jonathan Demi. I think Stop Making Sense is Apex Mountain for him. But that's not, it's not, that's not a diss. I just think that- That's like, your little Generation X, early 90s alt, alt, alt take. What are you talking about? I don't know. Don't you like the talking heads? How is Silence of the Lambs? How is that winning five, the five of five in the Oscars? I think that's, Apex yes. Mountain? That, okay. So I'm being, I'm, I'm being a hipster about so it. So creatively you're saying stop making sense. You'll still go. Yeah. Through. And I also, yes, that or something wild. But Is that I, because every 1990s NBA draft pick used David Burns suit and stop <laughs> making sense? <laughs> Chris Isaac, would you go with this or the video of him writhing around in the beach with that girl? Yeah. It's wicked game, man. Wicked game. Come on. Top 12 video of all time. Yeah. It's certainly one of the best of the 90. Jodie Foster. I think so. I can't wait to get into it about Jodie Foster. I agree with you, by the way. I think this was her apex. But you're just not happy about it. I thought she was great in The Accused. I actually thought it was a better performance. Um, just from a pure acting performance, I would give her that. I also really liked her in Panic Room. I like the movie Panic Room. And it's got flaws. It's got holes. She's I just good in Panic it. Room. She's good in Inside Man, but that's not like an apex mountain performance. I just think she's good no. in it. I, I would say this is because it's certainly her most iconic role. And winning... Winning the second best actress Oscar is really you're laying it down at that point. Yeah. And a lot of people have won one. When you win the, the second one, it's a different level. All right. This is one of the this is probably the greatest unintentional comedy award section we're ever gonna have. The nominees. Wow, this is just it's a murderer's row. Chris Isaac's cameo. He's got his one line, he gets out of the van. He's like, all right, guys, or whatever says it's like Clearly they thought he was going to be a big star yeah. or they were doing a favor for somebody, but it's, it's a little too much Chris Isaac for about three seconds. Right. Always makes me laugh. Charles Napier about to be clubbed to death when he realizes he's handcuffed and he just does a, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it just kills me. Catherine Martin near the end. When, when she Jody, starts really sounding off at that guy. When Jodie Foster's in there, she's infiltrated. Yeah. She's going down to catch James Gum, and she's like, hold on a second. I just, and she's like, and she goes, get me out of here, you fucking bitch. It <laughs> <laughs> kills me. Don't insult the person trying yeah. to save you. I mean, I guess there's a lot of PTSD going on, but yeah. yeah. And that, those aren't, those are barely top three compared to this. The tuck dance. I don't know if I think it's funny. Unintentionally or otherwise. I think it's just like really, really disturbing. Yeah, it's more disturbing than funny. Yeah. Why are we having this conversation? The unintentional comedy is lotion in the basket. It rubs the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's told. <laughs> Mr. My Family will pay cash. Whatever ransom you're asking for, they'll pay it. 
It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. It's become like an iconic thing to say. Well, I got one more for you. Migs. I don't think that was funny. Migs has two lines. <laughs> I know that it's Migs the most is, disturbing over the top. Performance Migs is on ever. the Mount Rushmore of like references for you, but I don't know if I would call that unintentional comedy. <laughs> the concept of Migs <laughs> that nobody stopped it, that they didn't, they didn't Who's scale stop it back. It? It's like the nine most dangerous people in the world. It's a one scene. <laughs> he whips his cum at Jody Foster. <laughs> He could have like missed or he could have spat at her. No, they're like Migs. Now nah, we, we're going full full scale. He's throwing the cum right at her. Jim Cunningham was just asking us, what happened to Migs? Like, did that actor ever go on to be on like Law and Order or something? He's played by Stuart Rudin. <laughs> have that written down. Have you been waiting 20 years for somebody yeah. to ask you what happened to Migs? When I saw Silence of the Lambs, I saw it when I was in college, but then in, I think I might have seen it a second time, but one of my best friends from high school, Jim Grady. Uh-huh. We had a long conversation about the MIG scene. <laughs> and he had one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard in my life. He said, because we're all in college. This yeah. is like, he goes, do you think that was fake sperm or real sperm? And if it's fake sperm, where can I get some? <laughs> because in college, you just like whip fake yeah. sperm. And that, that would be sure. like the highlight of a Friday night at three in the morning. <laughs> we'll never know. Obviously, it was fake sperm. I don't know what it was made out of. I might we obviously have, came up short on our internet research. I researched it. I looked. I tried to figure out what how they the made it. What were the search terms you put in? I put in <laughs> Migs, fake sperm, sounds of lambs, Migs, fake sperm. <laughs> Nothing came up. I want to know how they made it. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't even know how they would have begun. All right. So unintentional comedy. Put the lotion in the basket. I think that takes the cake over Migs. James Gum has five lines and put the lotion in the basket. Here they are in order. It rubs the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's told. It rubs the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. Now it places the lotion in the basket. Now it places the lotion in the basket. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. Those are the five lines. <laughs> Trying to make Zach Mack laugh here. I don't know which one is my favorite, but... I would just tell you this story. It's 100% true. I saw this in Worcester, Massachusetts with my then girlfriend in college. Oh, Jesus. We're in a packed theater at whatever the famous Worcester movie theater was. The put the lotion in the basket scene, which was allegedly the super scary scene. Yeah. I was laughing my ass off and people were turning around and shushing me. <laughs> I thought it was like one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life. Went back where I was living Enough of my roommates had seen the movie over the next like week where we could start doing it. And I was immediately all in on James Gum impersonations. <laughs> and it became probably that decade doing James Gum, not realizing that anyone else in the world thought it was funny. And then the internet takes off and it's like, oh, everyone thought this was funny. <laughs> That's good. You found, your, it, you found like your yeah, tribe. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm yeah. not weird. I'm not the only one who enjoys James Gum. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing. And then you you scale it back and it's like, this is terrible. He's torturing oh, this awful. girl in a pit. Yeah. He's, put, he's putting lotion on her skin and starving her so he can make a man suit out of her. And, <laughs> and yet, funny. Why am I like it's, it's so crazy. And it's a movie. But uh, James Gum, man, just think if he had that S, he's not half as scary. If he's James Gum, I'm not as he's scared. He's just Jimmy? Yeah. Jim Gum, Jim's <laughs> Jimmer. All right, we're going to pick some nits. Hot take. I think Jack Crawford was a bad boss. I think his plan was risky. 
Clarice didn't have a lot of experience. He sends her into the dungeon with no protection right. to, to get I think assaulted that's the by Mace. Is to see like it's like this is a, like basically this is a win win. If she goes in and she gets something, that's great. If she doesn't, I didn't expect anything. And because Lecter's supposed to be so hostile towards Crawford, he's like, I can't do it. I can't send anybody that's close to me to do or do it. How would Lecter know? I don't know. He's a genius. Just bring in some other FBI agent. Like the goal is you get a woman to kind of win Lecter over a tiny bit. Is there I an think there's some, this, the thing that woman? might be missing in there is that did they never talk about Will Graham at all in this, right? Yeah. So I think that is, I don't know whether that was like part of like the character rights situation, but I think like having like, yeah, you know, this guy, you know, he really drove Will Graham. Well, you're to, right. Will Graham probably got cut out. Yeah. His plan, like, he's like, hey, Clarice, no, no, it's good. We're about to catch him. And they storm into an empty house. Yeah. A lot of, I don't know about Jack. She puts her in danger. Her training is so bad. She just kind of waltzes into James Gums's basement over yeah. just calling for help, which I had a major problem with. <laughs> Who goes into the basement? No, this it's is... not like he can leave. But he's, she's looking for Catherine. I'm calling for help. Sorry. This guy's killed like five people. But she got to drive to go to a payphone. Oh, there's no cell phones back yeah. then. How did she talk to Jack Crawford before? Do they have radio? I don't know. There was some phone call stuff yeah, going on. Yeah, I was in that. You're right. They didn't have cell phones back there then. There you go. How bad were the two cops who didn't realize Lecter, like they had one job. This yeah, is well, a classic, all, you had I, one job. I, I think that, that there was a lot of problems with the senators, like the senator being like, you get to go to what, like Hyannisport if you help me with this. Yeah. was really like kind of problematic. And I was trying to imagine if that happened now. I mean, I guess we were concerned with bigger or different things now. But yeah. if, if it was like, a senator in the United States senator is making a deal via the FBI with a serial killer about helping them find their abducted child. Like, would you think about anything else for weeks? No. No, because it would just be like, what is happening? <laughs> like, that's happening? And then it would be like, oh, and we're going to let this guy go to Plum Island for a week Cannibal every year? Cannibal. It was like, you imagine? It'd be like, And they were also like, but they were like, you know, you're going to have the SWAT team on you when you're at this place. It just seemed like for all the careful procedures they went through to let Clarice talk to him or anything, when they finally get him into that that open space, they're very loosey-goosey with him. This was, uh, that was a runner-up to the picking nits. Yeah. I was going to get to that later. Yeah, it's it's the two cops. It's the definition of you have one job. Your job is to deliver his second meal of the day, which should have immediately made you suspect. Yeah. Oh, he, Doc must be really hungry tonight. He yeah. wants a second meal chop. Uh, <laughs> Handcuff him in. The one guy's like, do do do, like has the door open. This is a guy. He's he's in a dungeon behind glass. Yeah. Nobody's allowed to get near him. Now they're like, ah, oh, hey, he's just drawing. Yeah, hey, had the drawings. Yeah, sure, Doc. Okay, that's not weird either. I think they both deserve to die. It's my. It's, <laughs> I think they they messed around and they got caught. Lecter wearing someone else's face and clothes. He's probably crammed into that guy's uniform. I, I studied it. The guy's a little skinnier. So you think the not noticing it? He he basically, he cut the guy's entire head all the way around. Because when he pulls the, it's not just like he pulls the face. He pulls the guy's hair and everything. Yeah. I can't even imagine how much blood that is. Yes. Certainly enough to spill through the elevator. Probably. People like, they're like, hey, you're going to be fine, buddy. Hang in there. Nobody, nobody kind of notices from the side. Well, so isn't that guy supposed to have massive facial injuries? So that's why they think he looks like that? Sure. Yeah. Maybe I, Kate gives him an extra look. Just one more <laughs> second. Just kind of like, are we sure? Yeah. They needed they needed like a tattoo or something to be like, hey, it's Lecter. Yeah. He's got this Lecter tattoo. 
I thought it's a little hard to follow the James Gunn identity thing. Lecter throws out one name, yeah, I, then he's another my, one. That it's was like my I, I nit I wanted to pick. I didn't, I didn't totally understand it. The nit I want to pick is Hester Moffat, which I, I really like. It's, it's a great scene when she goes into the storage unit. Yeah. But her ability, like, and I don't doubt her that she's like a genius FBI agent, but I was like, I did not get that that was like a pun. Because remember, she's just like, actually, it was her saying, look within yourself, yourself, self-storage, Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah. And I was like, how did you come up with that? Yeah, that's she, like that's nuts. She's obviously her own her own genius. You can't swallow your own tongue to death. You sure? Yeah, I did, did some you Google research that too? on it. Yeah. Okay. He would have had to bite his tongue off and then swallow that and choke on that, which I I think would be difficult. Right. But uh apparently maybe he was like, what do you think Lecter said to him to make him do that? So that was I had that later in the unanswerable questions. We okay. can talk about it now though. He basically was just talking to him for six hours, and the guy's like, I got to get out of here. I'm <laughs> I got to swallow my tongue. Yeah. There's got to be a better world than <laughs> hearing Lecter wear me down. He just kills himself. I can't imagine what he said. I also like that Lecter was offended by the cum throwing. Yeah. This guy who's- Eats people's faces. Yeah, eating faces. He's made made meals out of his victims. Yeah. He's like, but the cum throwing. Yeah. Hey, come on, guy. Come on. That's like a baseball manager who doesn't mind like throwing a fastball at a guy's face, but is like, hey, don't flip a bat. <laughs> <laughs> but head on Okay, Sparky Anderson. <laughs> Duly noted. Best quote. We already went through all the James Gum quotes. Here's just a couple other. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with fava beans and a nice glass of Chianti. That became iconic. Yeah. Also, his pronunciation of uh, Chianti. Chianti. Yeah. Uh, Senator, one more thing. Love your suit. Great. Just the way he delivers that. Great Hopkins. I don't see Gene Hackman maybe saying that as yeah. well. That was also, it's an era of movies like with this and Terminator 2 and a bunch of others where like they kind of knew when they had a great line that would be repeated over and over and over again. I feel like Schwarzenegger might have yeah. created that. Yeah. The breastfeeding part with the senator, which is like, <laughs> where's this going? And then he goes, toughens the nipples, doesn't it? And that was one of those in the theater, like people are like, oh, like it was just it, too close to home. Hey, are you about a size 14? Love that one. Yeah. That's always what you want to hear when you're, when you're on the inside of a van yeah, moving someone's the, stranger's furniture. If somebody says that to you when you're inside a van, just start kicking yeah, if, and punching. If you ever say that to me outside of J. Crew, I'm running. <laughs> right. You don't know what pain is. Yeah. Great line. And honestly, like he was capable of a lot of pain. And then uh, my personal favorite of the whole movie, when Clarice goes to see him, knocks on the door, Mrs. Lippman, and then he's playing dumb. He's like, oh, is she a big fat person? Yeah. I just love that. Goes to get the index cards. Why not just tell her to leave, by the way? <laughs> Any other quotes that you love? No, though you, get, you got the ones I loved. Oh, and then I left out Charles Napier. Ah! Ah! <laughs> getting hit <laughs> by the line. Thing. Great line. All right. Unanswerable questions. We talked about fake cum versus real cum. What did Lester say to get mixed cum? So we talked about that. Is it okay to root for Hannibal Lecter in this movie? That's one of the great questions that this movie poses, is that you wind up cheering for somebody who is basically one step removed from Satan. Is he one of the five worst people you've ever rooted for in a movie? Yes. Yeah, so, so much so that when he attacks Charles Napier, you're just kind of like, yeah, he's free. Yeah, he's getting it's it. like, oh, get Jesus. Him. Yeah. Get him, Lecter. I think because, and the movie does a good job of this, I can't remember whether, I think it's after he escapes, but- uh, Clary says to her roommate at the FBI, she's just like, he's not going to come after me. He would think it was rude. So you kind of feel like Clarice is safe 
And it also seems by that point that Lecter is really only attacking people that he has beef with. Yeah. Did Catherine Martin keep precious? <laughs> I hope so. She carries him out at the end. Yeah. After she wounded him. Well, she with loses the, the cat, right? Yeah, but she wounded him with the uh, with the incredible threw the bone up and yeah. pulled the bucket or whatever the hell happened. I don't know how she pulled that off, but it was a Hail Mary pass. My dog. I think she keeps it. I think she kept precious. Yeah, memento. Would you watch a Buffalo Bill prequel with Ted Levine if it had come out in like 1997? Sure. Why so matter of fact about it? Because, I mean, wouldn't you be fascinated? I mean, I was I was really, this, this movie like taps into such a dark idea. I don't know that I'm as interested in the origin of serial killers as much as I am the investigation into them, but I would have been fascinated by it. I, was, I mean, I love I loved these movies. Should Jodie Foster have done the Hannibal sequel? No, I think she knew to leave well enough alone. Was Jodie Foster good in this movie? I think she's great. I feel like you have something you want to get off your chest. Undo your man suit and explain yourself. So when I found out Michelle Pfeiffer had the role and turned it down, Uh it was one of those things I couldn't unsee it. Yeah, it's like shatters the glass. Because then when I watched it again, I watched in the prism of what is this movie like with Michelle Pfeiffer in it? I'm four times more scared. She's a little older. I might believe the Jack Crawford thing. She might have been a little too old for Clarice, maybe. Maybe like a year or two old, but I just I just would have bought in more. I think she's a better actress. I disagree. But I also love Michelle and Pfeiffer. And I think that the background story of Clarice being the daughter of like a sheriff in rural West Virginia and all the like the, You're not buying that with Michelle the lambs Pfeiffer? were screaming. No, Michelle Pfeiffer seems like a like a Tequila Sunrise Fabulous Baker Boys person. Like she seems like she's always lived in like cocktail bars and like with with you know, like in these like higher places. Whereas I felt like I believe Jodie Foster was coming from that background. I could never get over it. I I still don't think the accent was good enough. And I think Hopkins knew it. My and he called her out almost everything is like up. never do an accent unless you're Daniel Day Lewis. Never. Yeah. I think this movie with Pfeiffer, I maybe I just like her more. One of my favorite actresses. Yeah. I uh, been meaning to tell you this one for a while. Castaway, mm-hmm. one of my favorites that I watch over yeah. and over again. You think she, Michelle she, Pfeiffer should have played Wilson? If she's in the Helen Hunt part, I think it's a better movie. Because why? I think she would have had a better connection with Tom Hanks. Okay. I don't know why I didn't love the Jodie Foster. I, I think I'm just not a huge Jodie Foster fan. I think that's what it comes down to. I I'm just never, think she's, never she's really great 100% in Never 100% bought in. Zach, what did you just say about her? I liked her... Like rookie vulnerability. Yeah, in that she's movie. she's she's she, she, she really plays. comes off as new at this and not experienced. It's fair. Could you have gotten that from another actress though? Yeah, you could have gotten it from you could have gotten a you know Lecter from Duvall. But it what about been Julia different. Roberts? No, not no. in that role. Though I do think that I I I just think that Julia Roberts. There's something also about like how diminutive uh, Jodie Foster is, like, and yeah. she's like kind of dwarfed by the situation and then grows into it. That just really works. Julia, Julia Roberts of, is like like a megastar. Like there weren't a lot of great actress choices back then. It was kind of a glut for up and coming. You know that comes in waves. Sometimes. Yeah, sure. Who won the movie? Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, Ted Demi, or Ted Levine? Jonathan Demi. Jonathan Demi. I would have said Hopkins. I'm going to say Jonathan Demi. Okay. Yeah. Give me your case. Because I think that he bridged like some of the indie stuff of the 80s and the the independent stuff of the late 70s and the 80s and a lot of like kind of like the things that he had been experimenting with and showed that you can make a blockbuster genre movie that was really subversive, but it also really entertaining. And the reason why this movie is so rewatchable is because every time you watch it, you notice something different. 
And that doesn't happen with a lot of movies. And that's down to the director. That's down to the way he decided to make it. Also, like the guy he used a lot in his career, Tak Fujimoto, is the director of photography. And he shot movies like Pretty in Pink. And that era now, like from like that mid 80s to early 90s era, like in movies, I really associate with that guy's look. With that kind of like flat, he shot Ferris Bueller. Yeah. And you just kind of like associate that kind of like, oh, we're in like suburban Virginia or or like suburban Chicago. And like he shot that stuff really well. But yeah, Demi for me is the winner. And, and you know, he passed away recently. So I just. My he, answer is Stuart Rudin for as Banks. No. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> I think Hopkins wins. It's, you know, if you're just. If, if we're just at a bar, yeah, I don't know why this situation would ever happen, but we're in a bar and just like, let's start rattling off some of the great performances. And you're like, of how all do you time. make fake sperm? <laughs> <laughs> After I'm done with that conversation, now I move to that one. Yeah. And we just be like, what are some of the memorable performances of all time? Yeah. This is going to come up in the first eight or nine guesses. Yes. Oh, my AOL just <laughs> said goodbye literally to the podcast. But yeah, this would be one of the first ones people You're mentioned. You're not going to get any argument from me. I just, I just, I wanted to shout Demi out. I figured you'd have Hopkins. It's a 1A, 1B thing for yeah. me. It was almost tough to watch Hopkins and other movies for a while after this. It wasn't until The Edge, which I'll defend to the death, 97, him and uh, Alec Baldwin fighting bears oh, in the yeah. wilderness. It's just a great movie. Yeah. And it was like, that was the first time I felt like he wasn't Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And yeah, and since then, he's kind of, I mean, not that he's like a paycheck actor or anything, but I think you can no, get it. I think Anthony Hopkins is available. If he's in Transformers he's- last night. You know, what was the movie he made with Cuba Gooding Jr.? Fracture. Yeah, I, I just think he, he probably available. owns a mountain in Malibu, and it costs a lot of money to maintain it. This was another. This was during the era of also made a lot of movie channels ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, mm-hmm. and this was one of the first on a lot. Yeah, where you'd be like, oh, oh. Oh, they're about to serve Lecter Veal. I'm yeah, in. right. I'm, I'm oh! staying there for twenty minutes. Oh, oh! <laughs> anyway, wow, Silence of the Lambs. Did we hit everything, Zach? Back? I think that's everything. All right, a pleasure. I'm sorry for the offensive <laughs> language in this, but, uh, but, but what else can we do? One of the classics. Wow, Clarice, take care now to extend me the same courtesy. Bye. Thanks so much to SeatGeek. Remember, NFL fans, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NFL tickets. Use promo code BSNFL. Download the SeatGeek app. Go right to SeatGeek.com. Thanks so much to Hotel Tonight, the app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute, up to seven days in advance. Perfect for a spontaneous getaway or indulging in a little staycation. Booking on a Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. Get in on those killer last-minute deals. Download the Hotel Tonight app now. Don't forget to subscribe to the Rewatchables. Don't forget to spread the word to your friends if you like this podcast. We're going to do at least 25 to 30 of them, and then it's really up to you guys whether you want us to keep doing it or not. Send us emails. Send us suggestions. We have Cam Collins coming in next week to the Ringers, coming to L.A. I don't think he hasn't been in the office before, right, Chris? No. Cam Collins is coming in. We're going to... When do you leave? Friday. 
So I'll be going. Well, Kim Collins is going to be in your place next week because okay. we're, we're going to bang out a couple with him. Very excited to have him on there. And then we have a lot of good stuff coming up too. We have a good list for uh, future rewatchables, including a live show next month. Yeah. We're doing a live rewatchables. We have not told you the location or date yet, but it's going to be in Los Angeles. It's, it's going just to Bill be- and I taking painkillers and reenacting Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the last rewatchables episode is Miami Vice. That's when we're officially out. And okay. you and I just look at each other and go, all right, it's time. Yeah. Because I think you and I are the only people who rewatch Miami Vice. <laughs> anyway, thanks for the rewatchables. Please keep listening. Please keep subscribing. Don't forget about the other podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. Talk to you soon.